Well, please turn with me in the Bible to the second letter of Peter and the first chapter. And we'll begin to read at the first verse and read through to the end of verse 11. So that's Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. And we remember that this is God's holy word. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his word. Just a brief prayer as we turn to the scriptures. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
the gospel really works. And that means that the Christian life is supposed to be something which is fruitful, effective, and productive. The gospel really does change people. And that means that our lives spiritually as believers ought to be full of a great harvest of righteousness all to God's praise. But all of us this evening know that often our lives are not marked by that. Often our lives are characterized by the sorts of things that Peter describes for us in verse 8. Do you know that experience, picking up his words there, of us being left in the Christian life ineffective or unfruitful? Other translations say Christian believers can be inactive and unproductive in their profession of Jesus Christ. These are people who name Jesus as Savior and Lord, but they do not live up to their full potential. And if that rings true with you in any sense, well, I'm sure you'll agree that it's not as if people like that don't want their life to be full of fruit. Look at some of the fruits of the Spirit that are described for us in verses 5 to 7. Because who wouldn't want their life to be characterized by the things which are mentioned here? Look at them. Uh, Peter writes about virtue, true virtue, a knowledge, a knowledge of God's will, self-control, being able to stand in the face of the world's temptations. I love this idea next of real steadfastness in the Christian life. The real ability to endure and to persevere and keep going. That catch-all term of godliness. Living a life that pleases God. And then this brotherly affection. Family kindness in the church. Which produces real Christian love. We read about those things and we say yes please to all of those. Those are the things that we would love in our lives. We'd love to be fruitful and productive in all those different areas. But often the reality is that that spiritual harvest is just not there at all. And instead, it's other things which are growing rather than those particular spiritual fruits. So in an individual's personal life, all true virtue might have gone. In the workplace, someone might be left in a position where they are just unsure about what God would have them do, how they, how they would conduct themselves. They don't know God's will for what lies ahead. In someone's private life, their whole thought and heart can be spinning out of control. And sadly, even here in the church, sometimes it seems as if this brotherly love that Peter writes about Sometimes, at best, it can be replaced with just superficial pleasantries towards one another. And not this thing that Peter's describing as real brotherly love and affection amongst the people of God in the church. The little phrase right at the end of verse 10, I think, captures something of what all of this looks like and feels like. You'd think 
Someone's left in the position where they're about to fall. They're still standing, but it's as if they're just teetering on the brink. They're wobbling in the Christian life. They're unsteady. They go through their life of discipleship, just stumbling and staggering along. And with the years, lots of us can get very used to that. We end up thinking, well, this is just what it's like for me in the Christian life. You might look at others and say, well, they're different from me. Their life's marked by real fruitfulness and real productivity, but this is just what I'm like. They're resigned to things. They say, well, there's someone and they're making their way to heaven and they're bearing fruit all the time. I'm going there, but just my life is ineffective. It is unfruitful. People can often end up thinking they're the first class Christians, but me, I'm really nothing but a second class Christian. Now, when Peter thinks about all of that, he says to us right at the beginning here, there are no second class Christians. He says in verse one, that as he writes to the church, he tells them that all the believers have a faith of equal standing. They have a faith which is as precious as that of the apostles. No second-class believers here. Simeon Peter might stand above the rest of us in the sense of him being an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he also insists that he stands right with us in the faith. How come? Well, he goes on to explain it. He talks about the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how all believers, Jews and Gentiles and everyone else who comes to Jesus Christ, they have obtained a like precious faith. And it comes through Jesus Christ who is both God and our saviour. Well, the question still hangs there. If we all receive this faith which is of equal standing, what holds some of us back? What's the problem? Why do some live a Christian life which really is effective and fruitful while other people just about seem to hang together. What's the answer? Well, let's think about what the right answer is by first of all considering what some of the normal responses are. Let's think about some of the normal answers that people give that I don't think are the right answer as to why some people aren't as fruitful as they should be. Why is it that some people don't live out their potential? And I think the answer's that we normally give to that are we say, well, it's because of something or someone out there. Why am I ineffective and unfruitful in the Christian life? Well, so often we say, it's a problem with my circumstances. Do you ever find yourself thinking about things that way? Time and again, People blame their own lack of holiness on something 
which is out there, we effectively say, we may not verbalize it this way, but I think this is what we're thinking. You just don't understand how unique and complicated and difficult my set of circumstances are. So often we end up saying, we would live differently. I would live a life marked by real godliness if other people treated me differently. So let's try to illustrate this and try to imagine how this might play out in a particular family. Let's start with the father. He blames his boss, someone out there, for the fact that he is so irritable. He gets home in the evening and he blames his wife for not really understanding him. The wife then blames her husband for her bitterness and the teenager blames his parents for his particular attitude. It's all the same sort of thing there. We believe that the sin which is out there is far more significant than the sin which lives within us. We locate our problems as being something external to us. And if we think that our greatest problem is out there, beyond our own hearts, well then it will leave us with a really distorted view for how we genuinely ought to make progress in the Christian life. Things will be twisted in the way that we do things and the solutions that we will propose will not be helpful ones. So often, when we don't see this clearly, when we think that our problems are out there, normally we say, when we want to live a different life, when we want to try to be fruitful in the Christian life, well, some people go the way of legalism. They create great long lists of man-made rules, and they say, if I keep that list, will you tick all the boxes and go down it? Well, then, if I do all those do's, and if I make sure that I don't do the don'ts, well, then, then I'll be fruitful. And then I'll be productive. Other times we think to ourselves, if we want to be fruitful, well, then we need to get really busy in the Christian life. We think that that's going to be the way to make progress. And we so we devote all sorts of time and energy and effort into perhaps church activities, thinking that if we're really committed to all those things, well, then things will be different. But the big problem with both those solutions, all sorts of rules and all sorts of busyness, is that they don't automatically impact the heart. They're different approaches that imply the same thing. The problem is out there rather than the problem being one which is in here. So what's the right answer? Why is it that some people are ineffective and unproductive and unfruitful in the Christian life. What reason does Peter give for what holds us back? Verse nine, what's the reason we might lack these things? And Peter wants us to be really sure of this. The fundamental thing is not something out there, but it's actually something 
within us. It's not just a lack of effort, not trying hard enough. Rather, Peter says, it is a sight problem. It's a problem with our vision. It is a multidimensional problem with how we see things spiritually. He talks about people being nearsighted, short-sighted. That means that we can't see things clearly which lie ahead of us. He talks about people being blind. We can't see what's in front of us. And people being forgetful. They can't remember where it is that they've come from. And those of us here this evening who wear glasses or contact lenses will understand exactly what this kind of problem is. Think how unproductive we would be if we didn't have our specs, if we didn't have our lenses. We couldn't see things clearly and there are all sorts of things in life that we just couldn't function with. We couldn't be active in the way that we'd want to because we can't see the things which are really important. And a physical sight is important. Well, spiritual sight is altogether much more important. Peter says some people are ineffective and unfruitful because they are blind to certain things. There is this multidimensional problem with our spiritual sight. We're blind to our identity. That's what he's talking about in verse 9. He says, these are people who have forgotten who they are. In particular, they've forgotten that they have been cleansed from their old sins. When we're blind to these things, we no longer have a gospel identity on who we actually are. We fail to see our identity in Christ. There is this identity amnesia. We've forgotten who we really are in Jesus Christ. And if we forget that, well, then we will be going through the Christian life and we will be inactive and unfruitful. As well as being blind to our identity, all too often we are also blind to God's provision. Back to verse 3. Peter tells us really confidently that we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Nothing's left out of what we've been given. Everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us. Everything that we need in order to live the Christian life, everything that we need for bringing up children, living together in marriage, doing our job, sharing the gospel, we have been given all that we need, but all too often we're blind to that. We forget it. The lie is whispered in our minds and hearts. We whisper it to ourselves so much of the time, saying, we don't really have enough. You don't have enough to do all those things. Peter says, you need to see the provision that God has actually given to you in the great promises of the gospel. These promises, which as he writes, are very great ones. We've been given everything that we need to face life in our fallen world. 
We've been given everything we need in the promises of God for dealing with disappointment, discouragement, temptation, opportunity, changes of location, shifts in our circumstances. We have been provided with everything that we need. People don't bear the fruit that they should because they don't see these things. They're blind to who they are in Jesus Christ and they're blind when it comes to the great provision laid up in the promises of God. So don't be satisfied with second best. It might be acceptable to onlookers, but it is certainly not God's intention for us to go through the Christian life as if we are about to fall and stumble. God is not satisfied until he works out his purposes of making us godly. Verse four, making us partakers in the divine nature, reflecting God's glory. His goal for us is that we would be holy just as he is holy. God's purpose for you, if you're a Christian believer, is for people to look at you and say, there's something extraordinary going on in their life because in them, I can see the life of God at work. This is the divine power, which is spoken of in verse three. The divine power that in moments when you would normally expect anger, can replace it with remarkable love. In times of acute temptation, can bring about self-control. In times of real testing, the power of God through God's promises can bring about perseverance. In times of intense irritation at something, well, instead, there can be patience. All the resources for a godly life, which is fruitful and effective, are ours. We simply need to ask God to open our eyes to see the things that time and time and time again we miss. We need to pray that we would see the great treasures that are given to believers in the gospel. And I think that's why Peter prays the way that he does in verse two, if you look down at that, because he prays, I love the image, that grace and peace would be multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this true knowledge of God brings grace and peace. And then on into verse three, the knowledge of God then is the means by which we receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if this evening you are feeling unfruitful, and if you recognize that often we become too content with that, too sort of used to our circumstances, assuming that it will always be the same old, same old when it comes to us. Well, Peter's prayer is that grace and peace would be multiplied to you so that those things would grow, so that you see the things that you really need to see in order to live the Christian life. And when God opens our eyes 
so that we see what it means to be cleansed from sin. So we see the treasures that are laid up for us in the promises of God's word. Well, then in verse 5, he tells us to get to work. He tells us, sir, that we need to be diligent. We need to make every effort that we can in order to be godly. He's saying to us that when we understand God's grace, that is going to be something which will promote diligence. This is a call to build on your faith. And we're clothed very clearly that this is not something that you sit back and wait to see happen in your life. It's something in which you are required to devote serious effort to. Don't miss the logic that's contained in these verses. Verses three and four come first. You need to see the provision of the gospel. And then we get to verse five. That flows from it. We have the root and then the fruit. And when we think about the things that are described for us in verses five to seven, these things that we've got to be really diligent to add to our faith, don't read these assuming that it's some kind of step-by-step guide to the Christian life. If we were to read it that way, it would be confusing. These are more something like supplements that we are to add to our faith every day. There's a whole range of these supplements, and we are to be very diligent to practice these things. Adding to your faith, supplementing it. Think of the language of supplements there. We are to make sure that we don't starve our faith of the nutrients which are essential for it to grow and flourish and be fruitful. So in order not to starve our faith, understanding the gospel day by day, we need to supplement our Christian profession with virtue. That just means that day by day and hour by hour, we need to make very definite and deliberate decisions to do what is good and right and true. Be very diligent when you get home this evening. Be very diligent first thing tomorrow morning to do what is right, to do what's good. And as well as that, to add to our faith knowledge. We need to know what is virtuous. If we're to add virtue to our faith, well, we need the knowledge to know what is good, what is true, what's right for me to do in this situation. And knowledge will also involve us knowing the very powerful promises of the gospel. Don't miss the fact that in these verses, knowledge is one of the things that we really have to add to our Christian faith. Do the right thing and make sure your knowledge isn't static. Don't try to rely on the knowledge of God that you picked up at Sunday school. Make sure your knowledge of God is growing. There is no shortcut to the Christian life that bypasses the mind. So virtue and knowledge, add those supplements, and then also add in the real decision to practice self-control, temperance and moderation in a world where so often there are no limits and nothing seems to be beyond the bounds. Peter says to us, take the supplement daily, just like you would take vitamins every day, of practicing self-control, but also add to self-control steadfastness. 
But it's more than simply moderation. There needs to be genuine patience, a long-term steadfastness that endures all things for the sake of Jesus Christ. And feed your steadfastness with godliness, with piety and devotion. You need outward patterns and practices that feed this steadfastness. But then the outward and inward expression of devotion can be something which, in one sense, can simply be for show. There also needs to be this brotherly affection, which is fed by love. So Peter says to us this evening, God's word says to us, we've all received a faith of equal standing if we profess Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And the key to being fruitful in the Christian life is to pray that God would open the eyes of your heart so that you'd see who you are in Jesus Christ and all the treasures that are laid up for you in God's word. And when you see those things and see them really clearly, well then God's grace pushes us on to take these supplements every day of deciding that with God's strength and the power that he gives, we'll add all these different things to our faith. Because if you have these things, then you will, there is a hope, have this entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we practice these things, that is the way in which we can be diligent to make our calling and election sure. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And as God opens all our eyes to these spiritual realities, may our lives be ones which are marked by real diligence, practicing all those things. Because if we do them, then to God's honor and glory, we will live lives which are really fruitful and really productive. Let us pray. Our Father, so often our spiritual sight fades gradually. And therefore we see little of the change and we get very used to being able to see less and less, sometimes without even realizing it. Lord, please, amongst your people, multiply your grace and your mercy. And do that, Lord, in opening the eyes of our hearts. Father, please, May those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ remember who we are, that we have been cleansed from our past sins. And in a world where we tell ourselves so often that spiritually we just don't have enough for the challenges before us, please may we be aware that we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness through your very great and very precious promises laid up in your word. Father, as we see these things, Make us fruitful and make us productive and all to your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.